Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Tonight's story takes place in 1982 in the suburbs east of Cleveland and involves the unsolved murders of three black residents. There are three communities mentioned here, so since I had the time to research them in context is always helpful, let me tell you about them because they look very different today than they did in 1982. First, there's the city of East Cleveland, today home to about 17,000 folks who are more than 90% black. But in 1982, when our story takes place, East Cleveland was in the middle of perhaps one of the most incredible conversions of any American city. From 1960 to 1970, there were some shady real estate practices that resulted in panic selling of residential property. And in less than 10 years, the city went from 2% black to 67% black. In 1982, when our story takes place, there were nearly 40,000 people still living there, and it was 80% black. And that ranked it second in the nation in that demographic, only behind the city of East St. Louis. With plummeting housing prices, the city's poverty rate grew and brought all that poverty entails, including high crime rates, city budget problems, and political corruption. In the 1980s, East Cleveland was always in a state of fiscal emergency. Now, east of East Cleveland is the city of Cleveland Heights, one of the largest suburbs in Cuyahoga County, and just up the hill from University Circle, the Cleveland Clinic, and a host of museums and cultural attractions. Its population has also dwindled down to about 43,000 residents. But back in 1982, there were about 60,000 people who lived there. Today, it's racially diverse, almost evenly split. But back in 82, two-thirds of the population was white. Now, important to our story is a regional draw in Cleveland Heights that's called Severance Town Center. It's on Mayfield Road. When it opened in 1963, it was the first fully enclosed regional mall in Ohio. Its anchors were Haley's and Higby's, names I'm sure will bring nostalgic memories to many of you. And third, northeast of Cleveland Heights is the city of Euclid, population 47,000, down from about 60,000 back in 82. It's got a great, colorful history and a rich ethnic tradition, which explains why it's home to the Cleveland Polka Hall of Fame. Here's where Charles Brush created his arc lamp, which made Cleveland the first city in America to light its streets with electricity. There have been a handful of films set here or recorded here, and Euclid became a refuge for African Americans who fled Cleveland's urban streets and the often troubled city of East Cleveland. And today, it's predominantly black. In 1982, however, it was only 9% black. And that's about the time it really started to change racially. The three victims in our story are black. And they are all connected, in a way, as you'll soon see. 
But nearly 40 years later, none of them have seen justice. So let's start on December 14, 1982. Sonia Green was just 14 years old, a student at Kirk Junior High School in East Cleveland, and no doubt looking forward to Christmas just less than two weeks away. Sonia left her house that Tuesday morning at 8.10 a.m. to begin her walk to school, as she always did. It was just three blocks. But this day, she didn't make it. And after she failed to return home that afternoon, her family called police and reported her missing. The next day, December 15, newspapers reported that a woman's nude body was found behind Severn Center in neighboring Cleveland Heights. The only clothing on her were athletic socks with black and gold stripes. She was buried in a snowbank left behind by plows near Viacom Cablevision on Severance Circle. By 2 p.m. that day, the snow melted just enough to reveal the horror beneath, and employees of a nearby medical building spotted her. The day after that, it was revealed that it wasn't a woman, but a schoolgirl. An editorial in the Cleveland Plain Dealer headlined, Pity the Children, started off saying, Sonia M. Green, 8th grader, age 14, of East Cleveland, is dead. Sonia's classmates wept openly when they learned the news. Her principal told reporters she was outgoing and popular. A neighbor who knew Sonia's, one of the girls who played outside her home, described Sonia as gregarious and affable. No trouble at all, she said. Other neighbors talked about the crime in their city, the murders, their terror, their fear for their children. That Cleveland Plain Dealer editorial raged at the violence that took Sonia's life. How she was, and here's a quote, a mere child swept like a cold, dead cinder into a dirty corner of a gritty city parking lot. There were no obvious signs of trauma on Sonia. She hadn't been shot or stabbed. The coroner will determine she had been asphyxiated, likely strangled. She had also been hit on the head and raped. Given how busy the mall is, police were confident that all that didn't happen at Severance. No, she had been killed somewhere else, but they had no idea where that second crime scene was. A few years ago, Fox 9 News in Cleveland found and talked to Sonia's dad, Jerome Green, who understandably said, I was very angry for a long, long time. I want justice for her. Seven days after Sonia was murdered, on December 23, the day before Christmas Eve, Cleveland Heights police were called to Severance Center again for another horrifying discovery. This time, instead of a schoolgirl, they found a school teacher. The body of Annette Lawrence was shoved inside the trunk of her own car. It was parked behind the mall, not far from where Sonia had been discarded. Annette was 32 years old and lived in Euclid on 191st Street with her husband, Howard. She didn't have any of her own children, but she had plenty of children in her life. 
She taught second grade at Chambers Elementary in East Cleveland. Annette had been shot to death, two bullets to the chest. And as in Sonia's murder, police were confident it had happened somewhere else and that Annette's car was driven by her killer to the point where it was found. Annette had been missing since noon Tuesday, the day before, when she told friends she was going shopping. When she didn't come home, her husband reported her missing, and loved ones went in search of her. Just after 11 a.m. on Wednesday, a friend recognized Annette's car in the parking lot and called police. Police found the keys in the ignition, Annette's empty wallet on the front seat, and her in the trunk. Police believed robbery was the motive. Annette was admired and loved by her pupils. She taught at Chambers for a decade. Her boss, Principal John Whelan, said she was classy, articulate, and mild-mannered. I never heard her raise her voice once in ten years, he said. There's a quality person who's molded children's lives gone from us. But as the years passed, police said they had no real suspects in the murder of either Sonia or Annette. The murders only seemed connected by location, so there's no way to know if there is one or two killers evading justice. A few years ago, Cleveland Heights Police and Crime Stoppers announced a new effort to solve these cases, among the oldest on their dockets, and they offered a $10,000 reward. At the time, they said DNA was collected in both cases. But in the years since they said that, there have been no public reports about that DNA proving helpful. If you have information, please call Crime Stoppers at 216-252-7463. You can remain anonymous. Now, I told you there were three victims in the story. Here's the third. Annette's husband, Howard, posted a $10,000 reward of his own back in 1982. That must have been quite a bit for him. He was retired on disability from an East Cleveland business called Electrolyzing Corp. But Howard didn't live long enough to see if anyone would come for his reward, because in February of 1984, just a little more than a year after his wife had been murdered, someone took his life. A passerby spotted Howard's car, crashed into a utility pole just before 7 a.m. that morning. It was at East 131st Street and Taft Avenue in Euclid, near where Howard and Annette had lived. When police arrived, they learned this was no car crash. Howard, 35 years old, was inside, with two bullets in his lower back and left arm. He was still alive. An ambulance took him to Huron Road Hospital, but he died within the hour. Howard was buried next to his wife in Newark, Ohio, where Annette's parents lived. He left behind his parents, nine siblings, and a son from an earlier marriage. In my search of newspaper archives, I could find no indication that Howard's killer was ever caught. That's it for this week's 10-Minute Mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-size 
Ohio Mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. May all of your mysteries have happy endings. might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight cisgender white men and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either she's wendy and i'm beth and together we host fruit loops serial killers of color a true crime podcast Together, we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.